0: You know, I'm going to give you a history lesson. We got some dumbass motherfuckers floating around this country. (laughs) Stop laughing. (laughs) And when I do, start fucking. Also, y'all did some nasty-ass jokes on my ass, too.
1: Funny jokes and unfunny jokes come out of the same birth. You fucking guys are unbelievable. Why are you laughing?
2: Evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Why You Laughing, a history of comedy podcast. And today I am pleased to introduce you to Martin Lawrence, uh, another guy kind of similar to Robin Williams. Although I was more aware of the impact that Robin Williams had, um, even when I was kind of young, like as a fan in stand up. Uh, But Martin Lawrence is a guy that like I knew him from I knew him from Bad Boys and Big Mama's House and all that type of stuff. I wasn't until, you know, the last few years when I would hear guys like Rogan and Chris Rock and stuff that we'll play later, um, where you hear a lot of comedians talk about the influence that Martin Lawrence had. And it's very interesting because just his show, Martin, very influential. Uh, I grew up in the 90s completely unaware of it. I didn't know it existed. Just didn't hit my radar. And yet uh, it influenced a lot of TV, a lot of... um, uh, his stand-up influenced a lot of stand-ups, as we'll see, as we'll talk about. And so, uh, I thought it was an interesting topic to dive into because um, I didn't, I didn't really know the impact he had. I knew he was a big movie star, but that's about where my knowledge ended up until you know I'd say probably four or five years ago when I started people hearing people talk about like Def Jam and the show Martin. And I think the comment that made me. Uh, most curious to dive into a topic like this was I remember Louis J. Gomez a few years ago um, talking about shows like Seinfeld and friends that were, you know, super white. Like those are the two that come to mind in the nineties when people talk about like, you know, there were no black cast members, literally on friends. People point to Aisha Tyler as being the one black person who ever appeared on the show. (laughs) So, those were, you know, super white, um, you know, I guess kind of I guess some people might have looked at them as snobby type shows. I think Seinfeld's humor transcends anything like that, uh, but maybe not for everyone. But anyways, I'm getting off track. Uh, Louis J. Gomez, who grew up, you know, poor uh, without a dad and his mom was a prostitute and a heroin addict. He said he related a lot more to shows like Martin and that's what he grew up watching. So I think it was just a different, um, uh, different demographic than my, you know, cornball white bread (laughs) interests in the suburbs. Martin was hitting a different demographic and I don't want to, you know, get into it too much now because we got to start at the beginning as we always do. But basically that's
3: what I'm saying is uh, Martin Lawrence is a hell of a lot more influential than I think I ever realized. Oh, for sure. And um, if you listen to Rogan, consistently like every third episode he'll talk about how hard it was to follow him
2: i think that i I shouldn't even say lewis's comment i think it's having listened to rogan over the years the amount of times martin lawrence gets props (laughs) for being just a destroyer a guy people couldn't follow uh at the comedy cellar and you know i think when i was more uh when i was more you know i don't know what the word is Oh, the coherent <laughs> when i was more aware and like uh actually really looking into stand-up and things like that that was kind of at the time where martin martin lawrence started to disappear you know mm. like before the latest bad boys i think the last thing he was really in prior to that um that had huge success anyways was like one of the big mama's house movies and that just never never did anything for me so i didn't really pay much attention to um, Martin Lawrence's career. But yeah, people talk about him as a an absolute destroyer in comedy and a guy who was super influential, like I said. Uh so, well, actually, before we start, I always have to say blindmike.net. Have you gone there yet, folks? Make sure. Um, but if you want to subscribe to the Patreon, we're gonna have more bonus content coming in 2023. We will do uh, bonus episodes and mini episodes and all th- kind of things like that so subscribe to the patreon if you'd like to support us in that way or if you want to support the show for free uh that's easy plain and simple that's also a blindmike.net, where you can find the links to apple spotify youtube uh like subscribe share all the things that you do to support podcasts do it for this one if you'd be so kind we would much appreciate it yes it'd be very very nice very generous of you uh and verygoodshow.org that's for craig
3: yeah go check that out too
2: uh, all right. So Martin Lawrence grew up. Uh, I, originally, I found that he grew up in, uh, I think it was Germany. And I was like, that doesn't seem right. But he grew up on an Air Force base. <laughs> I think his, his uh, father was in the military. He was one of six kids. And uh, when his parents got divorced, he really did never hear from his father again. Uh, so essentially, he was raised by his mother for all intents and purposes. Uh, and when they got divorced, she moved him back here to the States, uh, to a project in Maryland. He grew up in the projects. And the one thing I found most interesting about his childhood is, I mean, like they said, he was a kid who got into fights all the time and he was always, uh, getting detentions. He was a class clown, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, classic comedian story, I guess. Um, but he had a teacher who influenced him greatly, uh, in the, the documentary I do. I watched one of those like A&E type documentaries and she was in it. Uh, she went by the name Froggy Henderson, which I don't know if that's her birth name or not, <laughs> but but she was in it. And uh, she was a teacher who kind of took Martin, I guess, under her wing a little bit, at least in the sense of. Um, so he would make jokes in class and all this sort of shit and like offensive. Jokes, he would curse and things like that. And so this Mrs. Henderson would tell him, hey, like you're not supposed to joke about this topic. They didn't really get into, I imagine, you know, the Holocaust or rape or whatever, whatever it would be at that some inappropriate topic would come up. And she said, you're not supposed to joke about things like that. And Martin really wanted to, obviously. And she said, well, if you can make me laugh about that subject, uh, then you'll get out of detention. You don't have detention today. And inevitably he always would make her laugh, make her break (laughs) with whatever he was saying. And that stood out to me as something I was, when I saw that, when I saw her saying that, I was like, that's what teachers should be doing. Right. Like you're not, you shouldn't be there to be like the babysitter. You should be seeing something in each kid where it's like, Hey, he's an artistic, creative kid. Maybe let's tap into that rather than like, Hey, you technically broke the rules. Let's slap you on the wrist
3: for it. You know? You son of a bitch! Her uh, birth name's Andrea, by the way.
2: I, I had a feeling it was not Froggy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that came up so quickly. Um,
3: apparently, yeah, she I, apparently she ruled. So uh,
2: she was she was awesome. She seemed pretty awesome. And uh, I guess years later, he he always said, um, like when he, was, when he was leaving high school and everything, he said when he when he makes it big, he's gonna buy her a car. And eventually, he did. That's uh, he showed up back at the high school. I think he like perf- like did a uh, some kind of charity thing there or something, and he showed up and was like, "Mrs. Henderson, I got you a car." <laughs> <So>. <laughs> we- we'll get into uh, essentially my ruling on Martin Lawrence is that he's a human being <laughs> because when I was going through different you know, videos and interviews and things, I basically found that some people say he's a real scumbag that uh, treated him like shit and thought he was too big for his britches when he got famous. And then there are other people that are like, he's great. He gave me all these opportunities. So my ruling is essentially that he's a human being who had some sort of power. You know what I mean? Like that would mm. create enemies, but also people seem to really respect him as well. Oh yeah. Um, so Martin Lawrence left for uh, the world of comedy, went out to Los Angeles. Um, he started auditioning for things. Actually he started in New York first. believe that's where Star Search was. No, because Ed McMahon hosted. We'll fact check that. We'll get back to you next week on that, folks. (laughs) But uh, he basically got his, uh, at least as far as appearances on TV and things like that, his start was essentially Star Search, where he lost in the second round, um, but he got an opportunity out of that. Some uh, television producer saw him and... Basically, said, "Do you want to audition for a TV show?" So he auditioned for "What's Happening Now," um, and that was only on for, I think, less than a year uh, when he got that. But they said he was kind of a, a standout in a, a minor role, and uh, like he started getting noticed from that. Um, he got noticed. I'm, you know, also I briefly mentioned Star Search, but I shouldn't go past that so quickly because it's different than. Like Sam Murill was on America's Got Talent, which even if you know who Sam Murill is, you might not know that because who gives a fuck? You know, like the world isn't paying attention to NBC or network television the way they were in the 80s. But in 1987, even if you're on Star Search for five minutes, that's a lot of eyeballs watching you. So that is a big deal. You know what I mean? Right. Like little spots on television like that were were pretty huge back then.
3: Well, I mean, uh, last week's episode, Joe Matterese, was on there, so
2: that's right. <laughs> oh, America's Got Talent. Our yeah, America, that's right. One of those yeah, shows. Yeah, well, that is where I noticed Joe Matarise. So you're right. I guess even today, we'll find we'll find big stars <laughs> in these shows. But um, yeah, so he was on. Uh, What's happening now? And then uh, he had a small role in Do the Right Thing. Uh, Spike Lee found him in this, in this mix as well and gave him an opportunity that got him noticed. And, um, during that same time, he got rejected from the comedy store three times, which I always wonder, like Mitzi shore has been very romanticized, like her process and everything. Right. It's like, well, it seems like sometimes she was just wrong though. Also, you know, I would say
3: oftentimes.
2: Yeah. Like there's, there's no way she rejected Martin Lawrence three times to like show him a lesson or <laughs> to like groom him. You know what I mean? So like she turned down Seinfeld. Like there are people she turned down, uh, where she just missed the boat on, I guess.
3: Yeah. That'd be one of them, especially like we talked about briefly with Rogan. Like you don't, you don't crush that hard unless she, well, I, I don't know. She would also often pass people that sucked and piss off the whole room. And then the good comics would just get better.
2: Yeah. I guess that's my point is, I we kind of romanticize Mitzi Shore and say that was her process. She was this weird, wacky character. It's like ah, maybe maybe sometimes she was just fucked up and made the wrong decision. <laughs> That's also possible.
3: It sounds like she did a lot of drugs. If you go back and listen to our episode on her,
2: it's what I hear. Well, I feel a lot of people uh, may have at that time as well. One so.
3: of our one of our first episodes, actually, Mitzi
2: Shore. Yeah, go back and listen to the Mitzi Shore EP. We talk about some of her hijinks. Um, so my point is, even though he was uh, rejected from the comedy store at that time. He started getting these things. He was in the Spike Lee movie. He's on national television. Um, So he's getting these things where people are noticing him and those start to add up. So he did uh, another role that he got. I believe off of uh, Do the Right Thing. I believe because of that role, he got Boomerang with Eddie Murphy. And that's where his career really started to skyrocket. Because then um, now we're in the, the early 90s. Uh, And Eddie Murphy recommends him to Russell Simmons. Uh, Martin Lawrence is one of the guys that Russell Simmons was looking at to host Def Jam. Um, And Eddie Murphy's kind of stamp of approval uh, got him that hosting job. And then also in 1992, um, he got the show Martin. And I was looking for like a juicy story. I wanted an interview or uh, some, some crazy story of how Martin Lawrence got the show Martin. And he basically just said, like, uh, his agent or some producer or someone came to him and said, like, hey, we, we like you. Would you want to do a TV show? And he was like, yeah. And they were
3: like, all right, I guess.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we'll get into Def Jam in a second also. But to give you kind of perspective on what Martin was in 1992, the Fox network had only been around for you know, a few years. Like it was, it was very new and it was still something that people didn't know if I, I not even didn't know. I just assumed people thought it had no chance of competing with NBC, ABC, or CBS. But what that allowed Fox to do is give these kind of weird things a shot. So, you know, they greenlit the Simpsons. They greenlit Married with Children, which is the type of sitcom that probably wouldn't have gotten on the other networks at that time. And Martin falls into that category as well, where it might appeal more to black audiences or the way it was done, where, I mean, they say it, the way it was described is like, it combines a uh, sitcom with sketch comedy. I Essentially what that means is Martin Lawrence played other characters in the show. <laughs> like he played <laughs> multiple characters at different times. So basically, that's what they mean by that. But it was something that was unique and not really done a lot in TV at that time. And so having something like Fox is not dissimilar from having the Internet now, where like we talk about Gillian Keeves all the time, where that's a sketch show that it you know boggles my mind that no streaming service or network or anything has picked that up. But it also makes you wonder, is that a good thing? is that better that they don't do that because they're kind of allowed to do what they want. So on Fox at that time, you know, it kind of quickly became not the case where Fox was an established network, but in the early nineties, Fox was the type of place where they were like, yeah, fucking go for it. Do whatever you want, you know?
3: Right. And, and it was back, Um, it's back in the day when uh, people got shows named after them, just their name.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, your act and Martin Lawrence wasn't this way in his stand-up necessarily, um, but your act was centered around like we talked about with Roseanne and Tim Allen and even Seinfeld to a degree, where it's like, hey, I'll have this act that basically describes who I am, and off of that, I'll get a sitcom with with my name attached to it. <laughs> exactly.
3: Not quite. Um, not quite the uh, reasoning for this one. Or the correlation, not quite,
2: not quite, no, but it was like Martin's kind of character as a person that I think did appeal to people at that time, definitely. Um, and so he also had, well, we'll get into it, but uh, this is going on the same time as Def Jam, and we talked a lot in the uh Kings of Comedy episode how influential that show was for comedy. Um, where they started giving comedy like a hip hop feel like the coolest thing in music at that time uh, was music like NWA. And what Russell Simmons did is give comedy that sort of feel, which I think was a big deal when you're coming off of an era where it's Seinfeld and Gary Shandling and Paul Reiser and these guys who uh, aren't necessarily hip, you know, there are a lot of things. They're very talented guys. But I don't know how if uh, the word "cool" ever factors into their description. Rich, Rich Voss,
3: <laughs> yes, Rich Voss, greats like Rich. Well, he was on Def Jam. Don't forget. I know he was. He was the first white guy, I think, right? He's
2: pretty cool. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Def Jam was also giving, um, kind of in the same way Martin made sitcoms feel a little you know cooler or hipper. Def Jam was doing that for comedy where it didn't really have that before. Um, and Martin Lawrence was essentially the face of that at the time as the host. So he's on two, not just massive, but incredibly influential television shows at that time. So already we're talking at about about a guy who's had in a short run in comedy, you know, five six years. He's been in stand up at this point. Um, he's already had a major impact and influence and he hasn't even gotten into movies yet, which is pretty wild.
3: Cause he, and he was a massive movie star for a little bit.
2: Yeah. And we'll talk about that. But yeah. first, I think our first clip is uh Tracy Morgan, right? Correct. Did I miss anything before we get to
3: him? Nope. You got it all. I still don't get how you do that.
2: uh, a useless but impressive memory (laughs) Um, yeah so this is Tracy Morgan with uh, Ron Bennington talking about uh, I think this will put a little perspective on the impact that Martin had where's the
4: first time you got up doing stand up first time on stage I want to say 1968 about 4 in the morning when my mother's water broke
3: (laughs) 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 and now appearing (laughs)
5: I wore
4: you know but the first time professionally, I want to say in 1990, 1991, yeah. Def Jam had came on. Something came over me, and I just snapped. I had lost all my friends to the drug game. My dad died in 1987 of AIDS, and something snapped. And I just started doing comedy all around the hood. I was always funny, but I just started doing comedy, though, at my boy's house in front of his friends, yeah, you know, I'm seeing Def Jam, I'm seeing the Living Color, all these vehicles for urban stand up was out there, so it was a culture and I fit right in. Then one day, um, my boy Raul, he took me to Def Jam because he was an intern over at with Russell Simmons, and me, him, and my brother was sitting up in the balconies and Martin came out and did his thing. You knew then. Well, it was like looking into your own future when yeah. you're looking at Martin. Yeah. Yeah. That's changed like my life. Yeah, it's like a scene from a movie where suddenly a character realizes his own future. Yeah. Yeah. I knew I was gonna be there. Yeah. Changed my kid's life. Plus. And Martin at that point had everything going. He had stand it's my OG. up, TV. It's my OG. Yeah. I just saw him a couple of uh, weeks a couple of days ago. At the FX Fronts and I'm 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 cheering uh, because not because I feel sad, because I'm happy. Yeah. Because I know this opportunity came about, and this man named Martin Lawrence gave me a shot, and the Brown Brothers over at Uptown Comedy Club in Harlem, they gave me a shot. But Martin, he put he 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 let me eat at his table, and it wasn't because he liked me; it's because he thought I was funny. So he said, "Come eat at my table on my show," and he put me in front of this national audience, and he gave me an opportunity, and he told me things, man. And um, I'll never, forget, I'll, I'll never forget it, and I'll always be thankful to Martin Lawrence for that. He gave me an opportunity.
2: Now, the interesting thing about Tracy Morgan is that none of it, it's possible that none of that is true. <laughs> I've never. Seen- <laughs> That's why I love listening to Tracy Morgan is because he's giving that emotional, t- and it's within the realm of possibility that five minutes later I'll be like, yeah, I don't know that happened. <laughs> I've never seen him get that serious. Well that that's why the clip stood out to me is just that he obviously cared a lot about that and we'll play a little Chris Rock later. It's like when you're particularly like young black stand-ups the impact that Martin had on them seems to outweigh anything that other the like I honestly the only guys I can think of that equal it would be Pryor and Eddie Murphy.
3: Yep. I was just going to say. Where you've it.
2: heard them talked about with that sort of reverence. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because even like Carlin inspired a lot of people. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, Seinfeld, David Tell. They, we could come up with a million names in comedy that like inspired people to get into comedy. But the interesting thing about black comics at that time that had a unique voice like Pryor, Eddie Martin, Chris Rock, things like that, is they weren't as prevalent on TV. You know, it seemed like every sitcom that was coming out out at that time was a white stand-up comic telling his story, basically. But black comics didn't have that same, you know, the 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 equation was not the same. <laughs> so like I said about Louis J. Gomez, where he was looking for something to relate to when he was a kid, yeah, he had no relation to Seinfeld. It didn't It didn't do anything for him when he saw Martin. He's like, this is more of a backstory that I can understand and get behind. So when guys like Tracy Morgan and Chris Rock saw Martin Lawrence in the early 90s, they were like, fuck, that's something that I could do. So it's the type of influence that you don't hear. I feel like white comics talked about with as much because it's not as uh,
3: impactful to the people watching them. Does that make sense at all? For sure. I mean, um, no one to that magnitude. Um, it was almost like, like you said, with Pryor, who then handed it to Eddie, who then handed it to Martin, and and no one forgets. Because yeah. I know, like, and
2: now, um, and now, like we talked about the, you know, there's the Kings of Comedy, there's Dave yeah. Chappelle, there's a mil- there's a lot. I shouldn't say a million, but there's a lot more guys that you could point to as like, oh yeah, I could do that. Like if you're a black kid growing up in the projects, like Martin Lawrence was. Uh, you could point to all these guys and say, like, I mean, he did it. I could do it. But when Martin Lawrence was a kid, it was pretty much Richard Pryor,
3: I guess. Yeah. The only uh, the only comics you ever really hear spoken like that now are Chappelle and Rogan.
2: Um, Rogan in a different way, though.
3: Not but be- I don't think because of S- Rogan's stand up career. I think it's more what he did for other stand ups. Well, that's 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 what I meant, because he'll he'll bring people on the road that might not necessarily be quote ready or whatever right. uh, just to give him a shot because he thinks they're funny.
2: Yeah, it's right. It's funny. You said Rogan uh, Chappelle because I would actually say Atell and maybe Colin Quinn like those are the two guys I think of as having because Colin Quinn that, that New York seller table I don't know if we would be talking about them the way that we do if it wasn't for Colin Quinn. Well, for sure. So he, he really influenced the uh, generation. But anyways, you get my point, right?
3: Yeah, but I'm saying like uh, <laughs> even even like the Chappelle corn, sh- corn maze shows or whatever the hell he was doing over the yeah. pandemic. He's just, just whatever he could do to help anyone else out. Right, right. That kind of thing.
2: Um, so the other interesting thing I thought around this time is that Martin gets super famous. He's got these two gigantic television shows. But also, the thing that I found interesting is, and maybe you'll be able to think of some examples that I couldn't come up with, but um, it's pretty rare that you point to someone's best work as a stand-up um, to the album that uh, that came out, at, or the special that came out after they got super famous. Right. But the stand-up special that everyone points to with Martin Lawrence is You So Crazy, which literally his first bit is about getting famous. So it's pretty rare that like, I mean, like I love Bill Burr's special. um, I'm sorry you feel that way. Mm -hmm. I think it's the one in uh, black and white on Netflix. I think it's great, but you could also say uh, let it go was better and you people are all the same. Um, So you, you you know what I mean? Like there's it's rare that a guy's best work comes after he would have essentially lost touch with
3: the common man you know well rogan's specials are getting better and better
2: yeah rogan is a stand up craig wants to make this the he's Polish chucking me now he wants to make <laughs> this a rogan episode no
3: definitely not but we're talking about influence i mean no one yeah. has more influence in comedy especially right now than joe rogan but i
2: it's funny, i didn't i didn't think i didn't enjoy rogan's stand up me either his, his early stuff me either and yeah his last couple specials i did like so yeah you're that that's a good that's a good one
3: i i agree his like uh. Talking monkeys in space or whatever. I, I had no. He
2: didn't do anything for me. Yeah. Nothing. Um. All right. What's uh. What's
3: next? Let's get um, back on track here. Chris Rock on Martin's influence.
2: Yeah. So I, I our first couple of clips here, as you can tell, is just guys kind of talking about. Um. Like I said, I didn't know that. Maybe it's not interesting to you guys listening. You are maybe you knew more than me about Martin Lawrence, but I just found it interesting the way a lot of these guys talk about his impact in comedy.
5: Martin, you know, I normally didn't even watch. Opening guys, and I'm in backstage. Is that a shit. club, nah. I set this place to Airy Crown Theater in Chicago. In Chicago, yeah. And uh, I hear like, or, uh, like fucking. I think it's a fight or some shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh man, what's going on in the crowd? <sighs> like, fucking coming to the side of the stage, and people are fucking laughing harder than I've ever seen people laugh in my life. Like they're hurting themselves. Like, like. Yeah, like you, you, people don't remember how fucking crazy this Martin shit was. He was a beast. <coughs> that, like motherfucker, is. <laughs> that motherfucker was a beast. Yeah, I mean, like, he, like, yeah, hey, he can still bring it, but I mean, you talk. No, he was a fucking <coughs> monster. Yeah, like Murphy, like yeah. you know, like unbelievable. And then I had to go on after that, and like you know, it's a bad set when you're still talking about. The guy before you, like <laughs> 30 minutes in. <laughs> yeah, that Martin. sure was funny, right?
6: <laughs> it's like Martin said. It,
5: yeah, you to Martin. Martin
6: was talking about bitches earlier. This, yeah, about bitches. You remember earlier when you were enjoying yourselves? I <laughs> had a tag for one of his
5: jokes, and here yeah. that tag is. Oh, it was wait, I was just. brutal, sweat, just fucking. <laughs> yeah, I was done. And you realized, like, I got to step it up. Not only did I have to step it up, I had missed... Was it black people? It was black people at the show, It was show, black right? people at the show. Yeah. And... And prior to that, it was mostly white people or mixed, right?
3: It was mostly white people or mixed. Who is interviewing him in this? It's uh, Neil Brennan and Moshe Kasher. Oh, my God. Let him speak. Don't guess where he's going. Holy shit. <laughs> I like Neil Brennan. But... I do, too, but, like, they're trying to guess what he's going to say next, and he's like, no. <laughs> um, So...
2: It's interesting to hear them talk about because, like, they would this is how they would talk about Martin. This is how they talked about Bernie Mac when we were talking about him, Mm -hmm. where it's like the laugh they would get was like nothing. They don't even talk about the material, they talk about people's reaction, where like they thought literally the room was going to (laughs) collapse because people were losing their minds at what they were watching. So, there's something very interesting about that because, like, to be fully honest, when I was going back and watching some of Martin's stand up like it didn't do a ton for me. There's some stuff where I was like that was that's funny, but it didn't have me howling. But there's something to be said for just uh, as a performer getting that kind of reaction is pretty amazing.
3: Yeah, I remember um so like doing open mics, you like think you're doing well cuz the few people that are there will laugh like a little bit, like <laughs> right. And you're like nice, I fucking I'm the fucking <laughs> sure. king. And then I remember my first showcase. Um, I think it was, I think it was Tony V actually. It was like a local Boston show. And he went up and I went, Oh fuck. I suck balls. Yeah, <laughs> no, That's another one
2: where like Tony V, if you had me, you know, analyze his special doesn't do a ton for me. He's made me, he made me laugh. I've seen him uh, open for Louie and Burr a couple of times mm-hmm. and he's made me laugh but like, I wouldn't say, "Oh, that's one of my favorite comics." But the way these Boston comics that yeah. would see him live consistently talk about him—it's yeah. unreal. The reactions he would get.
3: Yeah. Plus, he's—he's he's just like a real good dude. <laughs> but like, d- just the the going from an open miker who just is like, "Oh, this—it's warm." I can talk into a mic and sit in like homeless people, and then yeah. you see like a real comic, and you go, "Oh, that's what you're supposed <laughs> right, to do." Right. <laughs>
2: yeah. And it's tough. It also takes a certain type of comedian, I feel like, to get that laugh. Like, uh, now that's how I've heard people talk about, and I was at his, um, the recording of his special that's going to come out soon, uh, Big J Okerson. And there's something about, like, it would be hard. The only guy that I've heard that's clean that I've heard gets that same type of reaction is Brian Regan. Mm Mm-hmm where he will fucking destroy, like he's able to kill a room like that. But other than that, I feel like you do kind of have to be so dirty to to be able to get that kind of reaction because it's such a shot. Like I think that comes from such a place of like, holy fuck, I can't believe they're saying this.
3: You know? Yeah. I would say, um, uh, recently I wouldn't say so much, but, um, Gaffigan a few years ago, probably like a decade ago, sure. would crush like that. And, um, um, blanking on his name Uh, Tennessee kid why am I blanking on his name Nate Bragazzi he kills like that too Um, we have one more rock clip right before I get too far ahead of myself Uh, All right, let's hear that it's labeled new comedy
2: oh yeah so this is this is what I was talking about this is uh, probably a less racist way of saying what I was trying to say earlier (laughs) where I'm like he influenced black kids you know (laughs) this is Chris explaining that in a little more articulate fashion (laughs)
5: It's so weird Because Martin like Literally ushered in A new comedy (laughs) Like A new type of comedy No I won't even say A new type Yeah I guess A new type of comedy God damn it Martin, you know, hey man, every all this everything black in the last whatever 15 20 years is because of Martin Lawrence.
3: <laughs> you mean within the sort of the depth I mean Dam. like literally
5: most of the comedians, all the UPN, all the WB, right. Interesting. <laughs> all, you know, yeah. Everybody hates Chris, whatever. All yeah. this shit has you gotta remember before. From Mar- Def Jam and Martin. The show, Martin. Yeah, and Def, Def Jam done. and Martin. You gotta realize, too, it's not that there was no black shit before Martin. When Martin came on the air, I believe The Cosby Show and A Different World were still on. Wow. <laughs> okay? I know for a fact Different World was still on, but this was some other black shit. Right.
2: You know what? Not listening back to it. It's not less racist. It's just uh, I'm more comfortable listening to Chris say it.
3: (laughs) I was just going to say it coming out of his mouth. No one's going to question it. Did I interrupt that? Was there more to it? My bad. No, that was the end of it.
2: Yeah. It's It's like, oh, no, he's saying exactly what I said. He's just allowed to. (laughs) But, yeah, there is something where, like, what that culture, whether you want to call it hip hop culture or black culture, whatever, that didn't really exist in comedy And, like, Pryor and Eddie kind of brought it there. You could even say a guy like Red Fox back in the day. A little bit. But a guy like Martin Lawrence, who was doing it from uh, a stand-up, a uh, cable stand-up perspective um, and a network television perspective. Because you you got to remember those are basically the two forms of television entertainment back then. Like, now we have all different kinds of levels of how you can be entertained. Back then it was either HBO or a network, you know? Mm. So Martin was dominating both. And to, you know, young black kids at that time, that's the first time they were seeing something like that. So literally as he, like uh, Chris Rock just said there, UPN, like all the sitcoms on there. I remember like, I grew up watching, uh The Wayans Brothers <laughs> sitcom, yep, the Steve Harvey show. Um I'm trying to think there are a couple others that I thought of but they're slipping my mind. But those are all even if they're not directly influenced, the able they were the reason they were able to exist is because of the success of Martin. Yep, Blackish. Well, that, that but I would even put that different now. I guess what I'm saying is like these standups that are kind of able to give their perspective in the sitcom
3: format, you know, yeah.
2: which doesn't even exist anymore, really.
3: Yeah, I just made a poor joke. That was all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. <laughs> it, happens, it happens to the best. Of
2: oh, that's the other thing I want to say, too, is like part of the reason sitcoms don't work now is because of us. <laughs> like, especially just go watch an episode of the Blind Mike Project. Assholes like us should really take a lot of the blame because it's people who dissect everything and it's like, oh, really? Would that happen? Things work out perfectly every time? <laughs> yeah. It's like people would dissect everything to that degree, whereas in the 90s, it could just be like, you know, you weren't binge-watching, so it didn't seem repetitive. You know, you could have a sitcom format, and there's part of me that misses that. I wish, uh, you know,
3: dorks like me didn't ruin it for everyone. <laughs> it's the fucking internet, man.
2: Yeah. Alright, what's next?
3: Uh, You So Crazy.
2: Um oh yeah so this is just a little taste of uh, that special that I mentioned Yep. yeah so like I said for this to come out when it did is pretty impressive because it's his basically signature work and this is how he opens the special
6: what's up that's right that's right I hear the ladies hollering for me like I'm fine Jeez, y'all ain't going to have me believing I'm fine in this motherfucker. I remember I couldn't get the women back in the day. Now I got women fucking me talking about, I don't know what it is about you. Wouldn't happen to be this hundred grand in my motherfucking pocket. would it? But thank y'all for coming out. This means a lot. I'm having fun. I'm even noticing white people are coming out now. You guys like me now, huh? Y'all never used to say shit to me. Just move out the way, nigger. Move. <laughs> now white people are like, hey,
2: Martin. You fucking go, boy. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying is it's very rare for a guy who's literally coming out and saying, I'm rich now and bitches want to fuck me. And that's like a, a signature special that people point to as fucking killer. You know what I mean? Because in comedy, you have to be relatable. You have to be self-deprecating, all that type of shit. And it takes a certain level of confidence to be able to pull off confidence. I don't know if that makes sense. But, like, you have to have a certain attitude the way, like, Martin does there. To be able to pull off, like, I'm better than you people, (laughs) you know? Right. Like... For example, it see like Chris D'Elia. If you go watch Chris D'Elia's comedy now, it's like, I, I'm a hot guy and I fuck women. <laughs> and it's like, I think he's,
3: ugh. I think he's avoiding that topic now.
2: Well, now, yes. I shouldn't <laughs> say right now, a few years ago. <laughs> but hey, like when you hear that from a guy like Chris D'Elia, you're like, ugh, like gross. Why are you bragging to us?
3: Go back to like the Not German poison Lawrence. cake.
2: Adam Martin Lawrence, it feels like that's just how he would talk. Like he's not even being braggadocious, you know? And there's an element of self-deprecation in there where he's like, a few years ago, you racist assholes never would have noticed me. (laughs) So, all right, let's keep going.
3: Uh, This next one, actually, hold on, let me, uh, let me, I have to, I don't know if there's something else in the order, but the next thing is uh, his SNL appearance, the clips.
2: Um. Yeah, we'll play that. Make sure I don't have any notes, uh, because I made a lot of notes for this one. You did, but this was this. This is very interesting.
3: Were you aware of this before? Uh, no. Oh, is um, SNL stuff. Uh, Bill Cosby slamming the Martin Show. We missed. I believe.
2: Oh well, yeah. I mean, so Cosby. I wish I could find it. I couldn't find him. Um, I think he may have just said it in print. Um, but. Cosby basically said that, uh, and he would say the the most famous one is he criticized Eddie Murphy and he would criticize Pryor and he criticized Chris Rock and all these young, black, very successful comedians. Bill Cosby would trash them. Um, I forget, did I put a quote there? Because there was a decent quote of how he described uh, the sitcom Martin.
3: No, but they soon after uh, one, two, and oh yeah,
2: <laughs> that's my favorite part. Is that right after that they won uh, the, the show? Martin won two and and N- NAACP Image Awards. <laughs> Pretty good. So I don't know if they were intentionally saying "fuck you, Cosby," but um, but yeah, it's so interesting to me, and we'll do more of it whenever we do a Cosby episode, I'm sure. But. It's so interesting to me that he felt the need to open his mouth on a lot on a lot of these guys because it's like, well, they're talking about their perspective, and maybe it's because Cosby was being a phony mm-hmm. that he felt the need. It was all projection, I guess. Um, because there's an element of like, yeah, I get saying, "Hey, no, we should we should try to angle, or I should try to angle more for family values. We should try to instill those. We should use a sitcom to, um, you know, kind of be a little more wholesome, and that's what Cosby did. So you you did it, Bill. <laughs> but you don't need to tell other people what they need to put on television, because Martin's upbringing was different than yours, and his perspective is different than yours, and what he wants to put out there and is interested in talking about is different than you. And Bill uh, never <laughs> never got that through his head. And the very interesting thing to me is, like, if Cosby. Didn't do that, I guess you could say that maybe Me Too still would have got him because that was a couple years later. Mm-hmm. So maybe at the same time as Weinstein and Kevin Spacey and these guys, they would have taken down Cosby. But you can make the argument that if Bill Cosby didn't criticize young black comedians, Then he never would have. We never would have gotten him. He never would have been in jail. We never would have come down on him for all these rapes because Hannibal Burris never would have done that set exactly. (laughs) So there's an argument to be made there that he really should have kept his fucking mouth shut. But, (laughs) uh, anyways, yeah, I just thought it was funny that he criticized Martin, and then uh, they won two NAACP (laughs) awards right after that. Love it. All right, so now this SNL stuff I find very interesting. Very. Um, So I knew he had a controversial monologue on SNL. I didn't know the extent to which it went. And also I assumed he was touching on topics of like race or uh, homosexuality or more controversial things, maybe religion at that time. So I'm surprised by what got him banned from NBC for a time. Um, this is around the same time that Dice got banned from SNL, I believe.
3: Yeah, the band hammers were out left and right because now it's not even close to being like this. I mean, Louis did a monologue on SNL comparing yeah. uh, having sex with young boys to eating a delicious Mounds bar. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, that's the other thing is like now. SNL just somehow gets away with like, oh, well, no, but these people that do uh, bits that are over the line, there are guys like Louis at that time was their guy. Right. If he did that now, the the pitchforks would be out. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the 90s, they were they were banning everyone. And this is uh, first we'll hear what you heard on every rebroadcast of this episode. So like when I was a kid, I watched old SNLs on the e-network i think yep maybe maybe comedy central as well but definitely on e they would rerun
3: uh snl all the time condense them to an hour
2: yeah and this is what you would hear if they played uh martin lawrence's episode something else
6: concerns me and and it hurts see i'm i'm single i'm a single man i don't have nobody i'm looking for somebody and and, but i'm meeting a lot of women out there and you you got some beautiful women but you got some out there that uh I got to say something. Um, Some of you are not washing your ass properly.
0: At this point in his monologue, Martin begins a commentary on what he considers the decline in standards of feminine hygiene in this country. Although we at Saturday Night Live take no stand on this issue one way or the other, network policy prevents us from rebroadcasting this portion of his remarks. In summary, Martin feels, or felt at the time, that the failure of many young women to bathe thoroughly is a serious problem that demands our attention. He explores this problem, citing numerous examples from his personal experience, and ends by proposing several imaginative solutions. It was a frank and lively presentation and nearly cost us all our jobs. We now return to the conclusion of Martin's monologue.
6: Well, look here, y'all. We got a great show for you tonight, because I'm here.
2: <laughs> and so that's how they rebroadcast it because I think it went out over the airwaves live. Well, it did because we have a transcript of it in a second. Um, but uh, by the way, what is that guy's name? That voice? I'm blanking on his name right now. I've
3: never heard that one. He's the think. debate moderator in uh, Billy Madison. Oh, I don't know his name at all. We're all now dumber
2: for yeah, what yeah, yeah, just yeah. Heard. yeah. He was he was very tight with Norm. I'm blank. Fuck, I'm blanking. Everyone's gonna have it in the comments, but I can't think of his name right now. Um, but anyways, because it was his voice,
3: I was waiting for a punchline. Was well, the all we all almost lost our jobs the joke?
2: No, 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 no. I. It's because of like they would have been uh, violating FCC law. <laughs> so I think that was in all seriousness. That was not a joke. Crazy. But I was uh, hearing his voice waiting for a punchline um, and uh, <laughs> it, it never came. So if you're wondering. What could Martin have possibly said? Uh, we do have a gentleman who is reading the transcript of what happened.
1: <laughs> See, I'm single, I'm single, man. I don't have anybody. Uh, I'm looking for somebody and I'm meeting a lot of women out there and you know, some beautiful women. but she got some out there that, uh, I gotta say something, you know, some of you are not washing your ass properly, okay? <laughs> like, don't get me wrong, you know, some of you, I- I'm sorry, cause listen, I don't know what it is that a woman got to do to keep up the hygiene on the body. I know I'm watching douche commercials on television and I'm wondering if some of you are reading the instructions, you know, I don't think <laughs> so because <laughs> I'm getting with some of these ladies smelling odors going and wait a minute, girl, smell this, this you smell yourself, girl, smell yourself. I tell a woman in a minute, douche, douche. Some women don't like it when you tell them that, you know, when you straightforward with them douche. I say, well, I don't give a damn what you do. Put a tic-tac in your ass. Put a cert in your ass. I'm sorry, you got to wash properly. You know, I'm a man. I like to kiss on women, you know. I like to kiss all over their bodies. But if you're not (coughs) clean in your proper areas, I can't. You know, kiss all over the places that I want to kiss. You know, some women will let you go down knowing they got a yeast infection. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You know, come up with dough up on your damn lip. Got a bagel and a croissant on your lip. Anybody got any butter? I like jelly on mine. <laughs> See, I'm- so, so that's what you
3: missed out on. That's <laughs> not even like bad. It didn't seem that bad, although I
2: know that there are certain things that, uh, particularly in radio, I remember hearing this a lot. There were certain things that would get you kicked off, not curse words, but you couldn't reference like oral sex and things like that. Even if you did it like medically, like you weren't allowed to. So I'm guessing that's what it was. Although in the early 90s, or mid-90s, I guess at this point, um, and the country was also more set just uptight about that stuff than we are now. So I don't know if it was maybe a mix of both, but <laughs> it, got, it got Martin banned from NBC for a while until uh, Warren Littlefield... Uh, who ran the network, sent him a message years later and said it was basically a misunderstanding, I guess. So I heard um, Martin kind of explain this. Do we have one more clip with this SNL stuff or no? Nope. Yeah, so I I didn't include it because it was pretty short. But Martin basically explained it as, like, it was a misunderstanding because he alluded earlier in the monologue, he basically says, like, I'm going to say some stuff uh, that the censors are going to have to look out for. But I think because of that, they thought he was trying to like sabotage them when in reality, he did run it by people or something like that, regardless of what it was. Um, years later, NBC apologized to him and acknowledged they were wrong. So he was allowed back on the tonight show and things like that, but he was banned from NBC for a while.
3: Yeah. And then uh, onto another network. Where are we going? Uh, He unloaded on Fox.
2: Oh, yeah. So I thought this was funny, too. And maybe it goes to the differences in the network, because NBC, obviously, around a lot longer, much more established. But uh, Martin Martin Lawrence heard that for Seinfeld's 100th episode, they really rolled out the red carpet for, for him. And it was this big celebration and everything. So when the show Martin got to their 100th episode, he was like, boy, I wonder what they've got planned. (laughs) And they sent to the, uh, you know, like the lot, wherever they're shooting the show, they sent one gift basket. (laughs) (laughs) And they were like, here you go. 100 episodes. Good job. And I guess Martin... Uh, you know, went to the went to headquarters, went to whatever exec's office, and just started unloading on them. <laughs> and they said that after that all the cast got gift baskets.
3: <laughs> oh, good.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, you know, it was an interesting position that Martin was in, because he is now running this show. Um, he is starting movies he starring in movies uh like bad boys and like uh life with Eddie murphy and things like that but he also um made a movie god damn it i'm forgetting the name um look up the 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 movie that he uh directed and produced uh a thin line too far i'm i'm going to mess up the title but He's under a ton of stress at this point, And this is where you start to see a change in Martin Lawrence.
3: So um, there's, basically there's three, but I'm assuming you're talking about the first one. What is it? Uh, a thin line between love and hate. Yes.
2: yes a thin line between love and hate. Um, on that set, he had a breakdown where he had to be hospitalized um basically he like you know lashed out and started freaking out, and it resulted in, in him having to take a trip to the hospital. So towards the end of Martin's run, mid-late nineties, where he's also starring in movies, things are starting to get to him. Um and this also probably contributed to a lot of why we didn't we haven't seen a ton of Martin Lawrence the last few years, uh, at least prior to Bad Boys, the newest Bad Boys. But Like at the beginning of of um, Martin, he assembled the cast like uh, Tisha Campbell, um, Tommy, uh, some of the other people in that cast were from either like just friends and comedy that he had or from prior movies. Like I think Tisha Campbell was in House Party with Martin and they developed a relationship there. And so he said, if I I ever have a sitcom, I want you to play my wife or girlfriend or whatever. And he ended up coming through on that. And he would do things like that for his friends. And then by the end, whatever changed in Martin, a lot of people grew resentful. A lot of people had very different relationships with him. Um, So this is kind of around the time that things started to change. But I don't want to get too... Far ahead of myself before I start mentioning specifics.
3: So, where are we? Uh, it's him doing stand up talking about
2: drugs. Um, oh, well, this is him talking about his uh, freak out on Ventura Boulevard, I believe, right?
3: Yeah, with the uh, gun and everything.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Martin Lawrence, probably his most famous outburst <laughs> is when he was running through uh, an intersection. On Ventura Boulevard with a gun, um, they said he looked like he had like mucus or something on his face. It looked like he had thrown up or was f- foaming at the mouth or something, uh, and he was screaming. They're they're trying to kill me, and they're out to get me and things like that. Um, so this led to his arrest slash hospitalization, um, and when he I believe in run tell that is a comedy special in 2002, I want to say. He addressed these, uh, you know, these charges.
6: So I go out in the street, and I go to run across the street, I was trying to catch the light. I go to run across the street, and because of how the light changed, I got caught in the middle of the street. Next thing I know, they got firemen, they got, they got ambulance, they got um, the police, everybody out there with guns, all of them had guns out there, just because I tried to uh, uh, run across the street. Nah, I'm with y'all, I was high than a motherfucker,
2: y'all.
6: <laughs> 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 I was high as shit. <laughs> oh my fucking goodness! Oh, I was smoking that. Ooh, That shit had, had me on lunch box.
2: Hey, he really did get me because when I listened to that, I was like, "Oh, is he gonna make this like not a big deal?" <laughs> yeah. He's like, "Nah, I'm kidding. I was. I'm fucking with you. I was high. <laughs> it was my fault." Hand up. <laughs> but I will say the interesting thing is like. He kind of makes it seem like he just smoked weed and did this. Yeah,
3: that was not weed behavior.
2: I've smoked weed in my life. I, and listen, maybe maybe I just haven't smoked enough. But, but I've never gotten close to that. So I don't know what the deal is. I don't know what he was on. I don't know if part of it was that he was just kind of snapping with all the pressure he was under. Could be. Um, you know, so it might have been a, a multitude of things. But he did have this breakdown and then he was arrested again for an incident in a nightclub. He, uh, you know, I don't know how it started obviously, but he was arrested for punching a guy. Um, so he had these, these episodes. I mentioned the incident on the movie set. And so he's a, obviously going through a tough time. He's dealing with uh, depression and heavy drug use. People were starting to like his family and cast members, everything, were starting to get worried about him. And also like now he's developing the reputation of someone who's difficult to work with. So he's got all these things working against him. But meanwhile, he's still like a pretty huge movie star. (laughs) Right. Which, I mean, I guess speaks to, you know, how successful he was and how much of a draw he was. But like, it's also impressive just that he was able to, I don't know, quell some of those concerns because they were all very public. You know, like uh, literally, literally he ran across a busy street with a gun.
3: <laughs> so literally extremely public. And this was but, and this was right around the time, I think, um, that uh, Bad Boys came out, right? Um, Early 2000, definitely around the time.
2: I don't know how close it was to that, but yeah, um,
3: And the little nugget about that it, movie is great.
2: I will uh yeah that's very interesting huh I guess we could we could just do that now
3: <laughs> Folks did you know the original <laughs> du-
2: the original duo and bad boys starring Will Smith and Martin Lawrence You guys probably already guessed it. You're thinking, I mean, if Will Smith and Martin Lawrence weren't in it, you're probably Dana Carvey and John Lovitz.
3: (laughs) (laughs) You'd be correct.
2: (laughs) I suspect they were going to go a very different
3: route if that was the case, right? Oh, yeah, I think so. I like how they go from them to two of the most popular people on the planet.
2: (laughs) It's, But also just like... The vibe. Dana Carvey and John Lovett versus very young, famous Will Smith
3: and Martin Lawrence. You know, he can get away. It's a little too cold outside.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I found that to be interesting. Um, But yeah. uh, All right. Martin's having a lot of trouble. What are we dealing with now?
3: Uh, Sued for sexual harassment.
2: Yeah. So this is when things really started to take a, a darker turn Although I didn't know that it it was obviously known enough that it came up in interviews years later and things like that. But uh, I wasn't aware. Martin Lawrence had some sexual misconduct
3: allegations. I had no idea till you sent me this list.
2: Yeah. So co-star Tisha Campbell, who they obviously had a good relationship at the start of the show. Like I mentioned, Um, things started to get pretty weird and there were always rumors of these two having a relationship. Uh, Martin, but actually, both Martin and Tisha were married at the time. But a lot of people said that maybe there was something going on, uh, you know, extramaritally. I don't know. Uh, there were also kind of allegations that Martin would basically talk shit about Tisha's husband, um, and that Tisha's husband didn't care for that. Um, some there were there were rumors that that sort of led to this lawsuit, but whatever it was led to Tisha Campbell uh, very sparingly being in the last season of Martin Um, fifth season, I believe. And uh, she wasn't in it a lot. And she said she wouldn't be in the final two episodes. She didn't want to appear in the final two episodes. And the only way they could get her to agree to do it was if she was never in the same scene as Martin. And the closest they got was her and Martin were on the phone together in the finale. You know, what I mean? so it's like split screen. They're in different places. Mm-hmm. So they just filmed it separately. Technically, they were in the same scene, but they weren't near each other. Um, and I think also in the finale, they might have been in the same room once, but never got like physically near each other. So and that was like one of her requests. She's like, that's the only way I'll do it.
3: So I just I just um, looked up. Did uh, Tisha Campbell win her lawsuit against Martin Lawrence? This is a little fun fact. I don't, I don't know if it was on the list. Well, I know Uh, there was an NDA signed. Yep, they both settled out of court, but this is from June sixteenth, twenty twenty two. So it was (laughs) a few months ago. Very recent. Um, there was a uh, a reunion for the show Martin on BET, and they were both on. Oh
2: yeah, well no, we'll 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 talk about that because that that's why it's it's interesting. And my uh again. I'm sort of an expert on these topics, so (laughs) I do have a ruling on this, and my ruling is that it seems like Martin started treating her like an asshole. It doesn't seem like there was necessarily violence. More verbal harassment is how it seemed. I'm really not sure. There were also, actually, I shouldn't say that because there were specific allegations. Um, It came out I think like 10 years ago or something It came out long after the lawsuit, but it came out that um, she said that like during kissing scenes, he would actually like tongue kiss her and shit like that, uh, that she was not into. And so there was, there was physical stuff at least alleged. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's weird because the reason I say, I don't know what level of seriousness is, it was is because of the way it was talked about years later, particularly by Tisha Campbell. Um, is that our first clip? Yep. All right, so yeah, let's hear from Tisha.
7: Well, you know, I, I can't go into much detail about the past because there was a confidentiality agreement. Yeah, okay. mm-hmm. so the gag order says no. okay. But what I can say is to 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 your question, I was actually kind of shocked. And mm-hmm. so there were people in my ear saying, you know, just to be still, be quiet, don't say anything. And then there were other people who were like, you need to back, back. you know what Thank I mean? <laughs> but, but I was like, I took a day and I said, I'm going to just hit him up. So I hit him up. He called me within the, a minute. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't even take him a minute to call me back. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, hey, and he was like, T, I said, yo, are we good? And um, he was like, yeah, T, don't read into what it is. You know, there's a lot of people that's trying to bring up the past and trying to make it news today. But, you know, T, we're good. I love you. I love your family. And I was like, okay. And he said, most people don't know that we've talked. And so when you go, if you look back, there was some pictures of us and we had uh, lunch last year. Mm -hmm. And most people were talking about a reboot. And Mm -hmm. for us, it wasn't about a reboot. It was about a reconnection. He reached out to me. And I got to break bread with my Mm co-stars. And we got to talk about everything. Oh, good. Okay? And so, I can't, again, I'm not going to go into details because I want to respect his privacy and I want to respect mine. But I will say, by the end of it, it was nothing but laughter and healing. Mm -hmm. And... I got a chance to experience
2: that. Those daytime talk shows clap at the oddest things. Like, <laughs> yes, you're
3: friends with your abuser. That's good. <laughs> yeah, it was It was so serious. You were like, yeah, let's get lunch.
2: Yeah, so I don't know. That. That's, I think there was clearly a uh, severing in the relationship. Um, like I said, she took a lot of shit for years. Because remember, this is the late 90s. So people were like, oh, you're a fucking liar. You're making this up. And even Martin in somewhat recent interviews would say like it was nothing. It was mi- like a misunderstanding, basically. Um, and, you know, like I said, some of the rumors were were saying that her husband kind of forced the lawsuit. I think Martin at the time said it was like a contract negotiation. But by all accounts, it seemed like something happened. Like some shady shit went on. I don't know exactly what it was, um, but the allegations are what they are. And, you know, it seemed like Martin didn't uh, behave very well, which does line up with how he was behaving in other ways at that time. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it is interesting also. It's like good for her that she was able to kind of get past that and forgive him, which I feel like isn't always allowed in society now. You well, know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah now, it's, like there's, yeah, now there's it's probably competent. a lot of pressure on her to not forgive him, I would think.
3: Yeah, nowadays you'll almost be more shunned. Than the abuser. Right. You, <laughs> right. Which is very yeah. bizarre, but um what's next? Uh two weeks before the premiere of blue streak. Yeah. So
2: again, Martin's under a lot of stress. This was a little weird Extremely. because he was he was trying to lose weight for Big Mama's house. <clears throat> which doesn't seem like
3: he would need to, <laughs> you know? Well then he'd probably get like the he doesn't even need the fat suit.
2: Uh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you, you're probably right. But yeah, right before the premiere premier Blue Streak, which that was probably my favorite Martin Lawrence performance. Mm-hmm.
3: I like That's Blue Streak. That's the one Street. I
2: remember watching as a kid was Blue Streak. Very Me funny. Too. Me too. On TNT um, all the time. And so uh, right before that comes out, he's getting ready for the premiere of Big Mama's House, and it's a uh, hot day in California. He puts on sweats and a knit cap to go jogging. Cause like I said, he's trying to lose weight. His body temperature gets up to 107 degrees, which they say is almost always fatal. Mm-hmm. Um, and Martin slipped into a coma. Right. And the amazing thing is he essentially basically said he had to like relearn how to walk and talk and things like that. And he was back shooting big mama's house within three months. Of that recovery.
3: <laughs> yeah, 107 is crazy because I know if you have like a fever of 104, you got to get to the hospital ASAP.
2: Right. Yeah, 107, they say you usually die. Right. And uh, he went into a coma. And, you know, who knows? I don't know what he was doing at that time. Is some of that like, because if you put on sweatpants in hot weather, do you automatically. Go into a coma. I don't know. No, but he's like, tra- are there other things
3: going on with your health at that time? I would assume so. He's training like a uh, an amateur wrestler trying to cut weight before a match. Yeah. And That's, yeah, his
2: body just probably was not ready for those elements,
3: especially doing that in California. You're fucking stupid. Just jog with shorts. You'll be fine.
2: Yeah, and so all these things. Now we're 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 building a case here for why Martin Lawrence disappeared right. because he's got these these sexual lawsuits. He's running out in the street with a gun. He's mm-hmm. he slipped into a coma, and yet, well, do we have any clips before I get to uh, Big Mama's house? Uh,
3: this is Chappelle.
2: Okay, no. So um, <laughs> he, despite all of this, Big Mama's house obviously comes out after that. When Big Mama's House came out, his rate, like the amount that he would expect to get on a movie, went from 10 to $15 million. <laughs> Martin Lawrence was making $15 million a film uh, after the release of Big Mama's House. So it's weird. Like, you don't think of him on the level of, I'll use Will Smith as the example, because it's probably the easiest because when Bad Boys originally came out I think Martin might have been the draw (laughs) like they were both on these huge sitcoms Mm -hmm. but I think Martin after being in movies with like Eddie Murphy and shit I think people were more and having an established stand-up career I think people were more confident in going out to see Martin than they were in Will Smith at that time
3: Um, I just looked up his net worth and it stunned me you have a guess
2: it's Done to you mm-hmm. should I guess high or low?
3: I'm gonna say 60 million dollars, 110 million.
2: Wow, really?
3: Yeah, I, I'm telling you, he cashed in. <laughs> <Good fan. laughs>
2: and Big Mama's House was a franchise, don't forget. So, all those movies made a lot of money, which we'll get to some controversy behind that as well. Um, but first, let's hear from Chappelle a little more on what. The industry, and we heard when we uh, did the Chappelle quitting uh, Chappelle show episode, we talked a lot about this and Martin Lawrence was kind of the inspiration for Chappelle to say something fucked up happens when you get famous. Like there's something fucked up going on in Hollywood. And so these are uh, Chappelle's thoughts on that. James, When Martin Lawrence was in that chair, we talked about Blue Streak.
0: I love that. He played a role in your life, I believe. How do you feel about him as a person, as an artist? Martin Lawrence is a guy that showed everybody you can make it from D.C. to Hollywood. And uh, I had a personal stake in his success. Every time he did something... It made me feel inspired and really good. And he was always real nice to me. He'd sit me down, what's going on with you, baby boy? What, what? we talk about comedy, whatever. And, uh, you know, when we did Blue Streak, we were promoting it, you know, and Martin had a stroke. He almost died. And then after that, I saw him, and I was like, oh, my God, Martin, are you okay? And he said, I got the best sleep I ever got in my life. It's how tough he is. So let me ask you this. What is happening in Hollywood that a guy that tough will be on the street waving a gun, screaming, they are trying to kill me? Yeah. What's going on? Why is Dave Chappelle going to Africa? Why does Mariah Carey make a $100 million deal and take clothes off on TRL? A weak person cannot get to sit here and talk to you. Ain't no weak people talking to you. So what is happening in Hollywood? Nobody knows. The worst thing to call somebody is crazy. Is dismissive. I don't understand this person. So they're crazy. That's bullshit. These people are not crazy. They're strong people. Maybe the environment is a little sick.
2: I just love listening to him talk. I know. (laughs) His thoughts on life I could listen to all day. I forgot what we were doing for a second. (laughs) He gets you in a
3: trance. Yeah.
2: But, um it's interesting to hear his levels of influence by Martin Lawrence there because he starts by saying Martin was the guy that showed everyone you could get from DC to Hollywood. Chappelle grew up in the same area. Um, And so just that he took a lot of influence from, but also he's obviously the guy or, you know, one of the examples of people that got Chappelle scratching his head and saying like, what is it that this industry does to people? Like if I accept this $50 million, from Comedy Central, what am I getting myself into? Like, what the fuck is going to happen to me?
3: Yeah, like, what are they, What percent of me are they going to actually own for the rest of my life?
2: Yeah, and so Martin breaking kind of helped lead Chappelle in that direction. And as he put it, like, why is a guy that, that, that is that mentally tough and that successful, why is the industry able to break him like that? So I think it's an inter, inter, interesting question because there aren't a lot of guys that have you know, longevity making 10 or $15 million, you know, look at Mike Myers might be, if you, if you examine it (laughs) might have one of the most successful comedy careers. The guy has three franchise Austin powers, Mm -hmm. Wayne's world and Shrek. Oh, I mean, yeah.
3: Shrek is like insanely successful.
2: (laughs) Um, and all of a sudden he disappears. You don't see him in fucking anything anymore.
3: The last thing he was in was fucking um, uh, the Queen movie as like the. the no, bo- he had some show. Didn't he have some show on Netflix that nobody watched? I don't. It doesn't sound like. Oh, maybe the last movie he was in was the Queen yeah. movie being the because of Wayne's World Bohemian Rhapsody scene saying no one will listen to that song. So it's fun.
2: Right. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's it. People don't have like longevity. At that level, and there has to be some reason why, and that's what Chappelle has kind of pointed out over the years. Um, so I guess all we have left is one more uh controversy surrounding Big Mama's House, right?
3: We got uh Big Mama's House clip and then the dress. Uh, okay, well, let me hear the Big Mama's House clip first. Tim and like a sit down interview with somebody it might be lived in
0: pretty much have a sense of who no. you are oh, and, uh, and willing Rose. to in a sense, say, if you're not willing to do it my way, then, then we're not willing to go your route. I think of the time that, was it Mirabax, that wanted to play around with one oh, of yeah, your performances?
6: Oh yeah, the NC, NC-17 on my concert film, and I could have easily took the R, yeah. you know, and, uh, but they wanted me to to uh, compromise some material that I really thought I wanted the, the audience to really see and to know about me, and, and not to say, they get the watered down version and go, and then see me live and go. Well, we never saw that. I wanted them to know me for for what I do in stand up because I'm not ashamed. I love what I do and uh, the way I am on stage is that's that's what I do. So you,
2: you know, as someone with uh, no backbone. That's a, that's a statement that I really respect and admire. <laughs> Literally, all he had to do is make it an R rating, and he said it was easy. Like I don't think that takes that much, but he's like. Well, no, I just won't do it then Like I want to do my material the way I want to do it I'm not going to change it because of your standards Like I'll change it because of my standards if I want to And that's such a respectable thing to do at that time When there are limited options uh, But I've, it was also, you know, influential You see guys like Schultz We mentioned Gillian Keeves earlier Yep. Um, you know, Merrill and Norman These guys that can't get specials on Netflix I know Sam Merrill has one now uh, But he couldn't get one for a long time So it inspired all these guys And obviously not just Martin Lawrence But things like that um, You know pushback like that And same with what Chappelle did To Comedy Central Pushback like that has allowed people now To kind of see the light of like Well I could just appeal to my fans I don't need them for this Like I don't need There's nothing that's ever been More successful Because of executives Notes I shouldn't say that. I should, I, I should say content notes. You know what I mean? Like they might be able to tell you, Hey, you need uh like with Seinfeld, we talked where they were like, we don't really have a woman's voice on this show. And so they added Elaine and I'm sure because of Elaine, it was a lot better than if it was just Jerry Kramer and George, like Elaine right. was a great character. Right. So there are things like that, that I think they maybe do have a good grasp on, but the idea that like some stiff, That works at HBO or whatever it was is going to come down and tell Martin Lawrence you know know, I think it would actually be funnier if uh, you didn't use the F word here (laughs) or didn't talk about insertion or whatever the fuck their notes were Um, and you know Louis is the best example of that meaning the TV show Louis where like FX gave him literally free reign to do what they want Uh, South Park guys same way where Comedy Central doesn't even know what's going on the air till the day up, <laughs> Right. And they trust Matt and Trey to do whatever they want. And that's how you get the best content when you, you know, trust the creators, I think. And that's, uh, you know, that's what Martin Lawrence seemed to stand for a lot. Uh, which is why this next debate is kind of interesting. Where there's a, a, a thing that's not really spoken about in mainstream media <laughs> I can't figure out why that is, but there does seem at least stereotypically there seems to be um, in the black community. (laughs) They haven't necessarily embraced um, uh, gay people and trans people and things of that nature, the same way that maybe mainstream culture has. And so that is kind of caused uh, uh, an interesting debate over the years. And, there are a couple different camps. And we heard Chappelle talk about this. Well, one of the things he said was they wanted to make him wear a dress in a sketch. They want him to play a woman or something. And he was like, Well, they do this to black comics. They make they they, you know, emasculate them by making them play a woman. Um, and he used Martin Lawrence as an example. Um, Tyler Perry, obviously, uh, Chris rock did it. I mean, there's a bunch of examples, Adam Sandler, black as hell. Yeah, I was going to say my, my, my counter argument to that would be pretty much everyone that's ever been on SNL ever. <laughs> Will Ferrell, Dana Carvey, Chris Farley, David Spade, Adam Sandler, <laughs> my fucking Mike Myers, Mike Myers and Dana Carvey literally had signature characters as women. <laughs> right. So. I don't think that the the race angle is a legitimate argument. Um, Cat Williams, I think, injected uh, a funnier stance on it, certainly.
3: (laughs) uh, I've never seen this before, so I'm interested.
2: It's a a grainy, it's like cell phone footage of Cat Williams doing stand-up, talking about guys like Martin Lawrence and Tyler Perry and the dress controversy.
7: That is different than the fact a movie. You see, because once you do Sinead and Wanda as a movie, and we already have Big Mama's house, and we know Brandon T. Jackson, that nigga showed up with his dress. He was ready to be (laughs) in one and two. You just start wondering how many niggas really need to wear a dress. And why is it so important? And they tell you shit like, but it's funny. Let's be very honest, a drag queen is somebody who works in drag. Do you know who Medea is, sir? That's a nigga in that dress, sir. That's not nobody's grandma.
5: This nigga is only funny when he's playing a bitch.
2: So, So he's kind of shitting on... Martin Lawrence, among others, for where he addressed there, And the thing I would want to ask a guy like Chappelle... I mean, Cat Williams, just his... I, I don't necessarily agree with him, but his explanation's hilarious. Yeah. So I'm not going to question him on it. What I would like to ask a guy like Chappelle, when he says, like, Martin's forced to, is if you ask Martin, if you could bring back one character from Martin, who would it be? He says, Shanene, which Cat Williams referenced there. Um, And it seemed like he chose to be in big mama's house. So my question to Chappelle would be like what's making you think that these guys are forced to do that? And also why does it see why do you think it's divided down racial lines? Cuz it's like white men have done this shit too. Now, the relief for guys like Chappelle and Cat Williams are now if a man puts on a dress, I think he'll and he's not trans, I think he'll be jailed. I think I think if you're doing it for comedy's sake, I think you'd be put in prison.
3: <laughs> right. Right,
2: So you don't have to worry about it anymore being done for laughs because it's not going to (laughs) happen. Definitely not. So um, yeah, it's a a, a weird debate that I never quite understood. Um, But I think it comes from like a defensive place where Chappelle's looking at it from an angle of like, are they trying to fuck me here? You know what I mean? Because he kind of has that mindset. So I guess that's where it comes from. Um, But I don't know how much validity it has in terms of the racism angle, you know?
3: Yeah. Um, Cause it, as soon as you brought it up, I thought of only white people doing it. So,
2: right. I mean, literally all of us and I, I'll, I'll expand it beyond SNL, all of sketch comedy yeah. <laughs> from, from, you know, the sixties on, or maybe even before that there have been men in dresses and it's like, Oh, that's hilarious. Um. So yeah, I, I don't know exactly what the uh, the issue is, but yeah, Will Ferrell society has cured
3: it. <laughs> yeah, Will Ferrell playing Janet Reno. <laughs>
2: that's, that's the one I was thinking of when I said Will Ferrell. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyways, regardless, uh, after the Big Mama's House series, Marn didn't have a lot. He uh, was in Bad Boys, which was the highest grossing movie of 2020. You can grade that on a curve, but it did make over 100 million dollars, and I think in its opening weekend. Oh, I forgot that was in, it was before the pandemic, not after. For some reason, I kept thinking it was December of 2020 instead of January. Yeah. Um, but it did make over a hundred million dollars opening weekend, which by any measure is pretty good. Yep. Um, there is in production, a bad boys four. Yeah. I'd say, cut your losses, gentlemen.
3: <laughs> I think I'm pretty sure um, Martin Lawrence is directing that too. Interesting. Yeah. Be great if they
2: had Chris Rock in it. Now I'm seeing it.
3: Yeah, I'll 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 see it. You, you never know.
2: Um, but point is,
3: Martin Lawrence hasn't been
2: quite as uh prevalent over the last you know decade or so. Um, but his impact in comedy, I think we we uh, listed it <laughs> quite a few times. We mentioned uh, how great his impact is. So hopefully, <laughs> uh, maybe you guys didn't know that before, and now you do, and you'll look more into uh, Martin Lawrence. And Def Jam and the show Martin. and Oh, that's another thing I meant to say. It's weird. Part of the reason you don't think of the show Martin as having the influence that it did is because of all these other shows that are rerun at 10, a million times a day. I mean, Seinfeld and Friends in particular. But, I mean, everybody loves Raymond, King of Queens, Home Improvement, Roseanne. All these shows from the, the 90s were rerun endlessly all over television, Frasier. You never saw Martin for some reason. No. And it was weird. Even because even in syndication, I said I would watch like the Steve Harvey show and things like that. Martin never got on my radar. Like it seems like uh, everybody hates Chris almost had more of a, an, a life in reruns <laughs> than Martin did. I don't know why that is maybe, you know what? Now that I'm thinking of it, maybe because of some of Martin's controversies, it didn't get quite the rerun life. I don't know. I don't know what that is, but it, I mean, it, it had over a hundred episodes, so I don't understand. It certainly qualifies for syndication.
3: HBO Independent Productions seems to be what who owns seasons three through five. So maybe it's on HBO Max.
2: Oh, interesting. Go check it out, folks. If it is, <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's our uh, that's our Martin Lawrence tribute. We hope you hope you enjoyed it, and uh, always feel free to mention any suggestions to me. Um, The listeners have good ideas for episodes all the time So send them to me Um, I always think I'll remember, I've started writing them down So I have a long list now Uh, So if you send me some of them in the past uh, Feel free to resend it to me Because maybe I forgot to write it down at the time Um, But the listeners always have good ideas So Um, Feel free to do that And the best place to reach out would be on Patreon If you want to sign up for the Patreon uh, You can find that at blindmike.net Please support the show If you would be so kind um, and the best way in my mind to do that is Patreon. We also have merch in uh, the merch store. Uh, but the easiest way, the way most of you probably will do it is for free. Spotify, Apple, YouTube, uh, leave a five-star review, subscribe, all that. All of that helps the show. And all of that is found at blindmike.net. So check that out and, uh, also check
3: out a very good show. That's where you can find Craig's podcast. Yeah, I would love it. Come say hi. We need more people. Let me tight. Uh, anything else? That's it. All right. We'll talk to you guys next time on Why Are You Laughing?